Hi everyone, and welcome back to The Blast Podcast, a show where we believe movies can be more than just movies. I'm your host, Steve Watts, joined as always by my co-host, Seasonal Depression, and over the past week, we've exchanged a couple of our favorite comfort movies. Today, we're going to be talking about what makes a comfort movie a comfort movie for each of us, our thoughts on each other's, and everything in between. Before we discuss what we've watched this week, let's hear a word from our sponsor. As always, The Blast Podcast is presented by The Blast app, which is going to be available sooner than you may realize. Make sure you're following our Instagram page at Blast underscore movies underscore, our TikTok at Blast.movies, and our YouTube channel at Blast.movies to stay up to date on all of our latest content. There you'll find podcast clips, movie ticket reviews from Ty and myself, and up-to-date news on the progress of the app. Lastly, please make sure to check out our app's landing page at Blastmovies.net where you can learn more about what Blast is going to be. All right, Ty, take it away. All right. Besides, you know, besides the record-breaking four movies I, I had to watch this week, I, I had a couple show watches, and which is so funny to me because all I ever do and say to other people is, oh, I just, I never have time for shows. You know, every time someone recommends one, I'm like, eh. You know, the more I think about it, the less true it is because I spend more time watching shows. First episode I watched this week was the first episode of second season of Invincible. It finally dropped after, I think, three years, and it lived up to the hype. They did it the right way, and the new Radiohead song that drops in this first episode, I've it's been nonstop in the car to work, or the car ride to work. So, great start to that season. Have you watched it yet? No, I haven't. I actually think... So you know that I have a lot of trouble like just staying invested in a show. I think I'm going to wait until it's all out, just binge it. You know what's funny is I was talking to one of my old roommates about this is they're doing it this way and I'm like where they release it one one episode a week. I think that's the right course of action because I would do exactly that. I would have watched the entire season when it dropped on Friday. So this is better for me. I like it being an event. I, I miss that about shows. So that works for me. I understand. So, wrap that up. Also wrapped up the third season of 24 with producer Jack. Um, I just, a lot of people don't watch 24 and frankly haven't even heard of it, which is crazy to me. But awesome early 2000s action show that deserves its flowers. But for those that have seen it, I, I will say Jack Bauer, underrated Sigma. And there is a key scene at the end of the third season. And the premise is the entire season takes place in one day. Each episode is one hour of the day. And Jack Bauer goes through some serious shit in this season. He has to cut his partner's hand off. He has to beat a heroin addiction. He has to kill the woman that killed his wife. He loses his new flame. She gets shot in the head. It's just an awful season for Jack Bauer. But he's just a machine the whole season. All in today's work, man. Yep, it just punched, punched into work, and you know had to rock the rock the day, no sleep. But at the very end of the season, he gets in his car and just like melts, like full blown tears, having a panic attack in the car for maybe twenty seconds. And someone hops on the radio like Jack, we need you back at CTU. We have we have the bad guys' <laughs> um, contact information. We need you to get back out there. He 
I'm on my way. And the season ends of him <laughs> going, going back to work. Jack Bauer, underrated Sigma. Wow. That's awesome. And before I pass the torch, I don't have any more watches, but I, I'm working from my parents' house this week. So I'm working out of my dad's office. And as I was setting up the studio for today, I was looking in his old coin jar, and I found something a little special for me. My dad, like as you know, the last year or so as Blast has become a thing, I started to explain like why I collect the movie tickets and they mean something to me. It's like a token of that day. It was an experience. And he saw the creator with my younger brother uh, not too long ago and said that he had a great time watching it. And I go and I see in his jar, he's got the two tickets from the theater experience. He held on to them. So I don't know if he did it on purpose, but maybe one of my dad's first blast stories. So that was a cool thing to see. Inspire change. It's what I do. <laughs> um, this was actually a very short week for me for really just one big reason. Um, this uh, on Sunday uh, was Morgan and I's uh, first like year anniversary of, of dating. And so she got me tickets to a Browns game on the day of which is just amazing. Um, so we drove down to Cleveland on Saturday morning, got to the hotel. We were planning on setting up uh, a Roku or just watching a movie on our phones. No cable or, or no, no Wi-Fi. Like the Wi-Fi was horrible there. So we had to go based on cable. I ended up watching two episodes of What's New Scooby-Doo and, um, or no, I think it was Scooby-Doo Where Are You? And, like, the last half of National Treasure 2. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, remind me, Ed Harris is the bad guy? Yeah, he is. That's the one, it's it's the, I'm, I'm going to kidnap the president. <laughs> it's that one. Yes, yes. We, we've, we've moved on from decla- uh, the Declaration of Independence to just full-blown kidnapping the president. Yeah. Um, awesome movie. Awesome time at the Browns game. Uh, a lot of a lot of moments I'm never gonna forget. Then when we got back, uh, we watched Barbarian, directed by Zach Kreger. This is, as you know, one of one of our favorite uh, horror releases of the past few years, and she was all in on it. Um, I love to see it. The she was really thrown off by that that smash cut to Justin Long, but it's it, it's such a wild movie you know what's so funny is of everything of all the movies i i have in my docket of things i've watched i think barbarian is in my top three movies that i like to recommend to people like oh i'm looking for a new scary movie oh barbarian go that's that's the one Mm -hmm. it's just it's such a great time but that's one you just want to like feel other people's experience with Exactly. And honestly, Kreger does such a good job with it. Like, this is the first time I've watched it kind of since like that week that it came out when I watched it a couple of times. And I've never really noticed how like actually stunning the camera work is in this movie. I think he's got an incredibly bright future ahead of him. Yeah, there is some really good uh, like weird POV shots, if you know what I mean. I I don't know. I'm, I'm with you there. All right. You ready to move on to these comfort movies? It's showtime, and I, I, I'm curious to see how you want to roll this out. I, I know Little Fish is first on the docket, so 
do you want to kick it off and kind of explain why it's a comfort movie for you? Yeah, sure. And I think that best way to go about this is just kind of flipping uh, between our, our two because, I don't know, they're they're so different from each other. I think it's, it's going to be great. Um, like you revealed, my first uh, comfort movie that I had you watch is Little Fish, directed by Chad Hardigan. This is obviously a newer entry on my list. I watched this for the first time. I think it's been about a month now. Um, and when I think of comfort movies... I think of movies that just remind me who I am, I guess. And so I try my best to approach life and then like enjoy every moment while it's here kind of mentality. And nothing speaks to that sort of mindset more than doomed romance. Stuff like this, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, uh, even normal people can count. All, all of those types of things. Um, this movie really reminds me of the power of love. And I think that it speaks to also my favorite philosopher, which is Albert Camus. And basically he just says that life is just this big joke with all these absurd situations that are thrust upon us all the time. And so the only thing we can really do is just enjoy it in spite of everything. And I think Little Fish is the perfect movie that encapsulates that type of attitude. So that's an interesting take on how it makes you feel. Because it definitely made me feel a little different um, <laughs> within 10 minutes of this movie starting. For anyone that doesn't know the movie Little Fish, the, the main concept is there is this virus going around that inflames a portion of your brain that causes you to lose your memory. So couples around the world are forgetting each other. So while one's brain is completely fine, the other it feels like they are, there's a stranger in their home. And... It is heartbreaking. This this movie can be very heartbreaking at times. But in the first 10 minutes when it's really get cutting deep and identifying this problem, my first initial thought was, Steve, go fuck yourself for making me watch this. The the doomed romance stuff, they're they're good movies, but I don't feel good. I don't feel I don't feel comfort. I feel like I feel like I want to cry. <laughs> I think that that's just just a misconception that that you can't feel comfort from crying though. Like I, I this movie made me sob um, the first and second time that I watched it, and I, I still was able to find comfort in it. Um, the I, I'm gonna ask you about the ending in a little bit, but I want you to keep going with your initial thoughts. Okay, I mean, <laughs> well, to keep my theme going, I was about halfway through this movie and I was wondering i have a question for you i mean is this like a top three horror movie of all time i think this is one of my biggest fears is not just not just forgetting like i i never want to grow old and forget the people that i care about um losing my memory is one of my, my biggest fears but i think up there now is the people i care about forgetting about me um this is very scary it's a scary concept <laughs> it, it really is um it's basically just like what if what if COVID was actually Alzheimer's and it's I, I can't imagine it. Um, there are actually some good like actual horror moments in this too when they talk about like the pilot who forgets to fly and the flights the flight starts crashing and all those types of things. It's it's absurd. Um, one of my favorite things in this too is the the story of Sam and his partner. Can you remember what her name was? Couldn't tell you. 
basically Sam is um, a musician with his wife and the two of them. Uh, Sam starts forgetting. He's recording all of his songs and stuff, but then one day uh, they call, Sam calls the main character and or the main couple I guess and they go over there and Sam's got a knife and he's freaking out because he doesn't know who's next to him in his bed when he wakes up it is it is a genuinely horrifying movie at points yeah I and that's one scene that kind of sticks out for me as as petrifying it's a petrifying concept but on the flip side this this movie does shine a light on the power of true love and how it transcends all. It is the most important important aspect of life. It, if all else fails, at least you have love. So when you lose that, that's that's the scary part. And if love fails, at least you have La La Land. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, besides the grueling pain that this movie causes, I I keep coming back to a couple of beautiful scenes, whether they were sad or just touching there are a couple scenes that I come back to. One of them being the quote-unquote little fish story. And it is the story of them getting married. Now, as the husband is trying to figure out how he engaged and what the reason was that they had this fish, it retells the story of him proposing, and he didn't have a ring. So they agreed upon buying a little fish as a placeholder. And I thought it was the most adorable thing ever. And I couldn't help but smile the entire time as they were recapturing that story and looking back on their their origin. And it was beautiful. It really, it really is. Um, I think everybody kind of has a story that's like that. And I think that's part of the reason why this rings so true. Um, I, I'm not... I'm not ready to tell mine because <laughs> I'm not ready to cry on this pod. Um, and I'm sure you're not ready either, but it it's those small relatable moments. I think that they have that really make this movie amazing. Yeah. Love is something that we hopefully all get to experience in some capacity and, and have these little fish moments, if you will. Um, but some of my other favorite scenes from this movie, I hope that no one ever has to experience and that is Jude's letter to Emma. They are going on a road trip. Yeah, that's a pretty good that's a pretty good uh reaction there. That's about what I had. They go on this road trip. As 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 he's losing his memory, he's trying to capture as many beautiful memories as he can with his wife. They go on this road trip, they stop it up at a log cabin, and they've had a great day together. They sit down by the fire. And he's like, all right, I want to read you something. He grabs a piece of paper, and it cuts to him in bed with a different woman. And you can't tell at first, but you're a little confused. Like, what What the hell? That's not Emma. And in his letter, he explains, I woke up next to you, and I didn't recognize you. And that's when I knew that the procedure didn't work. And I'm slowly going to lose lose my memory of you, and I want to make sure that me telling you this is coming from me and not the shell of me that is to come and explaining how much he loves her and has cherished all of the time that he has with her. And he's going to work to build what he can with the mind that he has and the time that he has left. It was about as crushing as a scene can get. 
and arguably one of my new biggest fears. Yeah. Um, just as you're talking about it, I'm getting goosebumps. That is a masterful scene. And like you said, where you, where you can't tell at first that it's not actually Emma. Um, this was directed in an incredible way as well. Um, and, and this entire movie is really shot very well. The, there are a couple of scenes where Jude is second guessing some of his memories that really stand out to me too, where he's like, uh, yeah, it was summer and he looks outside and there's plants out and everything. And then no winter looks outside again and it's snow covered. Um, just little things like that, I think make all the difference. Yeah. There, there are little tidbits here that I really enjoyed, but, um, I think my favorite tidbit, if you will, is, a great full circle moment that happens at at the end of this movie. The opening scene, or one of the opening scenes, Emma explains to Jude that for some reason, I don't know why, but I was sad the day that I met you. And when, after I met you, I wasn't sad anymore. It's talked about when they first met each other. Cut to the last scene of the movie. They have both lost memory of each other. They no longer remember that they were married. They don't, no longer remember that they were in love but they bump into each other. They cross paths again without knowing each other. And Emma in her head says, I was so sad the day that I met you. And it, and it ends signaling that their love is somewhere out there in the ether, that it cannot be stopped by whatever virus has plagued their story, that that love can transcend all. It was, it was remarkable. Yes, it's it's very similar. Kind of the entire thing is very similar to Eternal Sunshine, but puts its own spin on the movie. Or the, the like, I guess the concept, maybe? Yeah, I, I definitely got hints of Eternal Sunshine here. Uh, a little bit, yeah, not really, but kind of of past lives. But that's that's for a whole different reason. But it's funny. Like, those two movies... They they strike me as doomed romance or what I would call a horror movie. And this movie, Little Fish, I would argue is most definitely adjacent horror. So my question to you is, like, what is the all-time scariest romance movie for you? What is it when you watch it unfold like, holy shit, this is a nightmare? <laughs> Normal people... Approaching episode 10 <laughs> instills <laughs> the biggest sense of dread in me. Um, because as soon as episode 10 starts, you see <laughs> you see the form. I dislike myself. And Connell circles it. And just there on out, I just want to throw up the entire fucking time. <laughs> I, I have another good one. And it's the chapter in the worst person in the world titled, Bad Timing. <laughs> That's that's also fair. Yeah, that's pretty scary. But uh, yeah, all, all great takes, all torturous. Uh, despite the pain that this movie caused, it does have, be, because it's about love winning in the end, or you'd like to hope that it does, thumbs up. Good comfort movie, despite some of the pains it caused me. Thank you. I was prepared for you to just say, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> I'm learning. There you go. All right. So I think time for me to kick off what I would consider a comfort movie, and that's Rocky Three. A little different than, you know, uh, a tragic love story, 
we have a story that's going to get you off your ass and work hard and get better today. There is no tomorrow, as Apollo Creed would say. Now, when I go for comfort movies, I only lean on these when I'm in a bad mood and I'm in a rut and I need something to save me, to fire me back up, get me back in my mojo. So when I was younger, I used to dive into the sad stuff, the sad movies, the sad music. I used to love Frank Ocean. That that album, Blonde, holy dear Lord, that that crushed me sophomore year of college. But I'm past that now. Now it's all about elevation. And Rocky Three is one of those movies that gets me going. Why Rocky Three though? I would consider this one of the worst Rocky movies, in my opinion. At least like from a technical acting, stories, maybe racial undertones, <laughs> but we can get to all of this. I have a feeling you're gonna have a lot of gripes. But Rocky Three just it, it fires me up because when I started my my gym journey, my self-improvement journey roughly two years ago. My, my cousin sent me this motivation video, and it was titled, There Is No Tomorrow. And it is a, like, six-minute Rocky motivation video. And it's the, the monologue from the Rocky Balboa movie where he's yelling at his son. And then it cuts to Apollo in Rocky Three yelling at Rocky, like, Damn, Rock, come on! <laughs> What's the matter with you? There is no tomorrow. And then instead of cutting to Rocky and Adrian yelling at each other, which I think is a great scene. I hope you didn't didn't hate it. But it skips through all that and just cuts right into the best training montage of the franchise. Rocky and Apollo racing on the sand, embracing at the end. I mean, how does that not get you like, I just want to run through a brick wall every time. So now I watch Rocky 3 like once a month. And all because of that motivation video. It is my... My uh, one of my favorite comfort movies. There you go. Um, that all makes sense. Everything you're saying. I will say, I think Rocky for um, training in Russia is a little bit better than this training montage. Um, that said, really? Yeah, I, I do. All right, I would go. Um, the only one that comes close to Rocky three for me is actually Creed two. I think the the mm. running in the desert in Mexico that was awesome. So. That is, that's another great one. I would probably also have that above this. Um, going in, I had only seen this movie once, and so, I don't know. It, it, like, I knew that I liked it, and I think that it's important to say that if this is in a different franchise, I think this is, like, regarded as an all-time great, but this is the seventh best Rocky movie. This is not as good as 1, 2, 4, or Creed 1, 2, and 3. Um... <laughs> And it's still great, so that kind of shows you how awesome these movies are. My first thought that struck me in this is, what the hell is happening in this opening fight between, like, Rocky and a, like, Hulk Hogan type? Thunderlips. Yeah, Thunderlips. And basically, Rocky turns into a superhero. (laughs) He, he, He jumps on Hulk Hogan's back. And like puts him in a guillotine chokehold. Like this is Sly went off the rails when he was cooking up the script for this one. He he lifts up Hulk Hogan and throws him out of the out of the ring. 
Um, there are a lot of questionable boxing rules, like, throughout this. Like, when Mr. T just, like, pretty much picks him up and throws him into the ropes. That's another one where I was like, is that? what? What's happening here? Um, <laughs> that's not really my, my, my real... One of my biggest gripes is just that I'm not a fan of Polly in this movie because he is, like you said, incredibly racist. Um, when he goes into Apollo's gym, it's full of black people, yeah. and Polly says, I don't like these people. Holy shit, dude. <laughs> yep, yep. yep. So he says he says Rocky he says Rocky can't train to this jungle junk music. And I don't even want to say the last quote I wrote down here from him because it's so bad. Uh, I I was shocked. Yeah. I don't remember. It, it's been a minute since I watched Rocky 1 and 2, but is he that racist in the other two? Um, yeah, it's. I don't remember him being racist towards Apollo, no, but he is scum of the earth because I'm pretty sure in 5, it's like he bet or gambled all of Rocky's earnings away. And they go poor again. Like, he's just not a good guy. He was never a good friend of Rocky. So, I guess that it, maybe it's a pass. Like, Paulie's just not supposed to be a good guy. Also, Clubber Lang is kind of a, just a terrible racist stereotype. He's a very bad villain in this franchise. He is, but he's also just so so comical. One of the top Letterboxd reviews for this movie is, uh, Hey Sly, what are, you, what are you thinking for Rocky 3? What if Rocky fights a mean guy? <laughs> this is Mr. T is literally the least aggressive Chicagoan. <laughs> Real. That said, I didn't really understand, and I remember this before too, I don't really get why Mick just dies, um, but one of the funniest Rocky moments of all time is when they play Rocky's theme, but they just slow it down and play it on the piano as as sad music for Mick's death. I don't know if you noticed this, but they're like in the morgue and it's like, do, 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 do. <laughs> I, I was I was crying laughing like you can't just do that. Um. <laughs> All right, before we move off Mick, I have to say I will never support Mick as being a great trainer for Rocky. He was an asshole to Rocky. One, he stuck it to him for like six years in the first movie. Wouldn't train him, and then. After Rocky makes it big and starts making a name for himself, oh, now Mick wants to come and get involved and get in his corner. That's some bullshit. And then in this movie, like a pivotal talking point, Mick admits that he was essentially giving him like layups to fight and not pushing him because he didn't have the juice anymore. Yeah. What a shitty trainer. <laughs> like, what a way to just cripple someone's mindset. Duke is miles better. Um, in the Creed series as well. I think he's great. Um, this is... Yeah, yeah. Mick just sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree. I totally agree. Uh, but kind of all of the side characters do. Kind of all the side characters. Like, Adrian, I don't remember her being as bad as she is in this movie in the first two. You said you like the, the scene where they're yelling at each other. I think you're talking about when they're yelling at each other on the beach. 
And she's like, Rocky, you need to do this for you. And it's like, oh, wow. So you're like still in a high school drama department? Like, what's happening here? Hey, don't don't uh, hate on age. Like, my, my cousin and I talk about this all the time. Like when we're, you know, when we're talking about, you know, potential wives or wife candidates. The goal is to meet your Adrian, to have someone in your corner and pushing you to be the very best version of yourself and supporting you through your vision. And like, I'll always have a soft spot for Adrian, regardless of the overacting. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I will say, side character-wise, Carl Weathers is such a fucking treat. Like, I wish Carl Weathers was in every movie. <laughs> oh, yes. I don't get why. Like, he's in Predator and he's in Rocky. Now, where does Carl Weathers go for 30 years before he pops back in in Mandalorian? I don't know. Like, I was... Oh, Happy Gilmore. Yeah. I was reading through his filmography, though, and it's just like, how did this guy not make it big? I, I, I love him and everything he's in. He, as Apollo, I think Apollo is so underutilized in, like, every Rocky movie. I wish that he was, like, at the forefront more, um, like he is in the second half of this. Because when I was writing down my notes, um, I was about halfway through and I just wrote down, not enough Apollo. And then finally, the second half of the movie got it right. As a whole, um, I think that I like this movie because it's all about wanting it more. Um, I don't buy into the whole soundtrack hype. I don't think Eye of the Tiger is as good as uh, the Let It Fly or whatever it is in in Rocky 1. This is even more predictable than the usual Rocky movies, which is slightly annoying. The worst villain of the series, not enough montage, and bad Paulie and Adrian for me. I probably won't revisit this as much as the others, but... I'm still giving it, like, a B. I'll take that. I will absolutely take that. And before we pivot off Rocky Three and the Rocky franchise, I have to ask you, top three Rocky movies? Ooh, off-rip. Creed Two is in my number one spot. I love that movie so much. Um, and then I think I'm going Rocky Four, and then Rocky Two. Creed One, Rocky Four, Rocky Two. Fair. Okay. I I think I've talked about this before on the pod, but I just love the dad stuff in Creed 2. I think it's awesome. So good. It's so funny. I'm I'm reading our notes from our producer. His top three Rocky movies. Creed 1, Creed 2, Creed 3, in parentheses, I've never seen the Rocky movies. He's a joke. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, I have one more big question for you before we move into my second comfort movie and this is we talked about how mr t is the the worst villain in the series but he is a very strong one who wins in a fight between clubber lang and ivan drago oh stop it stop it this is clearly drago i mean respect to apollo creed my favorite rocky character he fucking killed a guy in the ring like that is some unmatched power. I will say, Clubber Lang's, like, when he punches someone, the, like, shotgun blast, like, audio dub for all of his punches, he's he's bringing some serious heat on those, on those jabs. So I don't think this is a close fight. Maybe Lang wins the first round, and then Drago puts him in a blender 
for another 11. That's fair. It seems like Mr. T, too, like, wouldn't be able to keep up after, at a certain point. We see him get tired in this movie. I, I can't imagine him going more than, like, four or five rounds with, with Drago. Yeah, he's like Mike Tyson. You, you got to survive. You got to hang on. And if you do, you got a shot. Fair enough. Okay, my second comfort movie is It's Such a Beautiful Day, directed by Don Hartsfeld. This is another one that just makes me appreciate every moment I'm alive. Um, I think I've shown you this before, but for our listeners, I have the scene tattooed on me when Bill goes walking down the beach and sees I Love You written in the sand, and he thinks it's beautiful. And that scene has always just stuck out to me so much as a how like some little thing can just change your entire perspective on life for even if it's just for a day. Um, I love that moment so much. I would imagine you liked that movie as well, or that, that scene at least. Um, but I, I guess this is just when everything is going wrong, all we can do is enjoy it, which is another one that's kind of pulled straight from Eternal Sunshine, and that makes me just bring up, have you noticed the memory theme here? Like, I, I feel like a lot of my favorite movies kind of play on, on aspects of memory and losing memory and the importance of it. Um, I, I wrote that short thing when we talked about, uh, as I was moving ahead, occasionally I saw brief glimpses of beauty, and that's another one that really spoke to me. No, it's funny. When I was watching this movie, similar to Little Fish, where I noted, like, okay, Steve just gave me another horror movie to watch. This, I felt like a very similar thing, except not in the sense that the story was that scary to me. I just felt like I was watching a wholesome version of Skinamarink with the sound design, the weird, like, cuts to, like, sparking lights and people getting run over by trains. <laughs> this movie's all over the place. And I wasn't sure what I was watching, but one of my like key takeaways was <laughs> I have and again, I've never smoked in my entire life. I genuinely wish that I watched this high. I think I would have had it, maybe the greatest view, no, the greatest viewing experience of all time. I was already watching like this. A panic attack. I was I was locked. I I completely rattled. But I think what I keep coming back to with this one, and I've already rewatched a couple scenes. So that's always a good good takeaway on a Steve Comfort movie. But I was laughing a lot, and a lot of the big scenes in this movie are just bad beats, people having existential like life crises, questions. And it's funny. And I think that's the point. You're supposed to laugh at these little things, these little bad beats that feel like the end of the world. But it, it's these things that you need to appreciate. Appreciate all the little things in life because you don't know when your time's up. Um, I thought, yeah, it's such a beautiful day. It's such a beautiful movie. It's I'm I'm so glad that you actually enjoyed this, and I'm really glad you got the humor. Um, I remember I watched this. I showed this to my mom because I really, as much as this is an out there movie, I think it's an important one. And so when people ask me like what one of my favorite movies is, I don't want to go to a ghost story. I don't want to go to to anything that dark. I want to go to this. And so I usually tell them this. And this is. 
just there are so many comic beats that make that make this movie work um you mentioned uh just the the, the like people getting run over by trains because everybody in his family has died due to train death even if they like had polio before or whatever um the there is one scene that i did want to shout out though that um you didn't mention yet this is when he goes back after his mom dies he goes to her house and is looking through her things and he finds a box of all of these lunch notes <laughs> that she's written to him that say like uh i hope you have a wonderful day or or just something as nice as that or or just like an i love you have a, have a good lunch and he sees that she wrote them over and over and over again trying to get the perfect handwriting down <laughs> And that has made me sob to think about so many times. Um, I'm getting choked up here just thinking about it. There are, everyone has these little moments and things. You're like, ah, shit. Like great mom and dad stories like that. I, I always come back to one where my dad knew that I would get nervous when I was playing baseball. If he was there, it would throw off my swing because I didn't want to let him down. And I sometimes wouldn't see him at the game until like the fourth inning because I'd like be out on the field and just catch at the right moment him sitting at in like a radiator box, like way beyond center field so that he could catch the game without me knowing. Uh, little things like that. We do like a family tradition on birthdays. Every family member um, has to give a handwritten birthday card. It is the best part of my birthday every year. It's honestly the only thing I look forward to. Um, so I, that that did hit home it, directly. Awesome. Um, there's another scene that I think you mentioned somewhere in your notes too of him just laying on the on the dirt with his ex-girlfriend looking up at the sky and talking. And his ex-girlfriend, th- this main character, Bill, we don't really get any background on him, but... His ex-girlfriend is like a main character in his life, um, even though she she has a new boyfriend and they're just still involved with each other's uh, lives, I guess. I don't know. I I think it's very nice to see just two people having a, a nice moment together, even if they're not dating anymore. That love may be gone on paper, on technicality, but... That, that love that was once shared will always be there, and that's highlighted in that scene and definitely kicked me in the nuts and in my notes. I specifically called this out because how fitting is it that in a comfort movie from Steve, I'm crying about an ex-girlfriend. Thank you, Steve. That was, that was a great moment for me. Um, jokes aside, though, I, I think it's, it's handled in a good way but I wanted to mention something overarching about this story and why it works, why it's funny, why you can have a good time and identify the message. Um, this story is presented in a very unique way. It's only an hour long. It's extremely low budget. It's, it's just stick figures and like weird lighting practical effects, but it somehow works for this simplistic yet, complex emotional story yeah this is 
And I don't know if you know this background. There are three, like, chapters in this movie. This was actually released as three separate short films um, that were all, like, 20 minutes long. And then they form the, the overarching narrative. The animation style itself, though, is another reason why it brings me comfort. It feels, like, so personal to somebody. And uh, Don Hartsfeld has made, I think, another short film that is in the style as well. But it feels... Something about it just makes it feel more raw. Like, maybe he's not the best, like, sketch artist, but he still wants to tell this story and he has to find a way and this is how he does it and i think that's really beautiful um i i love just about everything about this movie i did want to ask you about the ending though because this ending is kind of absurd what what did you what did you think of it gosh i really wish that you didn't ask me this right before the pod I actually went back and revisited the last 10 minutes because I, I wasn't quite sure what I watched. So Bill, in my mind, has passed. He has died, and the audience is freaking out, like, oh, my God, is Bill dead? Is Bill dead? Is Bill dead? And it cuts to him experiencing life. But now I feel like Bill is representing all of us, all of humanity. I will I will elaborate. It is breaking down him going through time with his partner, but it references him having you know, 100,000 offspring that will eventually live out this same long extended life beyond Bill's time and so far and so forth. And then it transports him into the cosmos, essentially like in like a big bang kind of environment. And like, I don't think Bill is is just a single character anymore. I think he's like a representation of life itself. And that that was my takeaway. Like he was no longer a person. He was like all encompassing. That's that's how I looked at it. I'm very curious to see what you think. Um I've always interpreted it as just like a commentary on everybody's kind of inherent fear of death. Um we see Bill kind of come to a close his his story comes to a close and his illness has overtaken him and he dies and the narrator acts as the audience for me and says like no i i don't want this person to die and this is the same thing that happens in a lot of movies like in avengers infinity war do you want to see tony stark die no but at the end of the day when we refuse to accept death in the way in the way that this movie presents it, like, do is, is this what you want is basically what he's saying. Like, do you want then to, to live forever? Do you want to live to watch your hundred thousand descendants all die? Do you want to live to see the earth collapse and, and just live out as a speck in space where nobody knows who you are? It's a, to me, it's just kind of like a treatise on, except that life is limited and that's what makes it special oh well said and definitely a probably not only a better but also correct interpretation of the ending so thank you but i no i'm glad that you wrapped it up the way that you did what makes life special is the fact that it's limited like we 
we wouldn't do the things that we love or have a sense of urgency in anything that we do if we knew that we had all the time in the world to do it. It's the fact that we have a finite amount of time. And that's what makes the little things, the little bad beats so frustrating. But this this movie does a good job of reminding us that it's part of this finite journey, that these things are supposed to make you smile. The way that your paper towel absorbs water, the the grain on your like countertops, like these little things, appreciate them because it's part of the journey. It's it's a part of your story. It's a beautiful, beautifully written written story. It's a beautiful story, and I love that we've gone so profound with this, so let me dial it back and have a little fun here. I mentioned that this movie is entirely stick figures, so a little stick figure battle for you. You gave me Clubber Lang verse. Ivan Drago, I give you Bill versus Greg from Die Every Wimpy Kid, who walks out of a room. Um, well, if this is Bill at the end of the movie, then obviously Bill. I mean, he can't be beaten. He's he's like a god. But if we're talking just regular Bill pre distortion, I th- I think Greg can take him. I mean, I mean, Bill's got this weird illness that is kind of slowing him down. He's passing out on the sidewalk from time to time. I I can't imagine the odds would be very good uh, for Bill. I I would say Greg is probably like a minus three fifty favorite for for a knockout. Yeah, producer Jack just said he's he's more of a Rowley guy. <laughs> I would say that uh, I, I'd lean <laughs> I'd I'd lean Roderick. I think Roderick could actually take out God version of Bill, but that that's my stance. <laughs> that's a good take. Um... Jesus Christ. Did you ever follow the like not my Roderick movement? Uh like as an actor? Yeah, they like replaced the actor for the like I think it was like the fourth or fifth movie and everybody lost their minds about it. Yes, there is a an Instagram account called Hard Images and it's that actor that plays Ro- Roderick in the original and it's his filmography. It's three Die Every Wimpy Kid movies and then Oppenheimer. What a heat check. Oh, Jesus. All, all business. Die of a Wimpy Kid in a Chris Nolan movie. That's awesome. Guy gets it. All right. My comfort movie number two. Now, the first one that I gave you was all about just making you feel good, like firing you up to become more. This one I don't think makes me want to become more, but is insanely rewatchable. It puts a smile on my face every single time. And I wish, I wish, I can't do it, but I wish I could hop in an F-18 and just be the greatest pilot in the world. Give me Top Gun Maverick as my next comfort movie. And this was an absolute blast recommending to you because you, for some weird reason, decided never to see this movie. So I'm, I'm curious and just dying to hear your thoughts. I have avoided this as long as I could, like you said. Honestly, the only reason I didn't go see it is just because it's about two and a half hours long, and I know exactly what I'm going to get, and I don't really, like, care for that. Um, And I've felt the same way. I mean, this is, like, a fundamentally sound movie, and it's good, um, but I don't like any of the characters, really. I don't relate to any of them. Um... I think there are some cool shots, but for every cool shot, there's also a cliche, (laughs) 
and for every cliche, there's an exposition dump intro for a character. Um, it, I, I don't know. I mean, I understand why this got as much hype as it did, but it's just not like a me movie. It's not a Steve movie, I guess. Um, Hangman is is a bully, like straight out of Disney movie. It's predictable from start to finish, and you're gonna hear a lot of these. <laughs> a lot of these comments can probably be applied to Rocky Three too, but because I have such love for the Rocky franchise, I like the movie more. Um, so yeah, I guess this is just exactly what I expected going in. I have a comment on the end, but I want to hear some of your thoughts. You know, you mentioned like for me, it's why this movie's so special. You mentioned that well for all of its gripes, like, you know, it's similar to Rocky three. And because of that, I like the Rocky movies. I like Rocky three. I am not a big fan of top gun. So I'm not a big fan of top gun Maverick. I actually can't stand the first top gun. I do not like it at all. And I do not understand why it's regarded as like one of the greatest, like eighties movies. I just, it's not for me. Top gun Maverick. However, I fucking loved. And it's one of those movies where, I saw it in the theaters, big screen, and when the credits rolled, I turned to my buddy and said, like, yeah, that that was awesome, right? It was the experience of seeing that. It was the first movie in a while, probably since the Batman, but even beyond that, since probably like Infinity War, where I felt like it was an absolute necessity to go see this in the movie theater. It felt like an event um, and like one of those blasts movies for me one of the best and i'll always cherish that viewing experience i'm also i've really jumped on the tom cruise hype hype train in the last four years i really got into the mission impossible movies and have kind of admired his grind and pursuit to save movie theaters and i think this movie is one of the big elements as to why it got saved so kudos to tom cruise i really enjoyed this movie and it's one of the easiest rewatches for me. On my birthday last year, I think my birthday was on a Saturday. I had all my buddies come over. I had one of my buddies fly in from Nashville. And before we went out, we didn't do like a crazy pregame. I sat everyone down and we watched Top Gun Maverick before we could leave and go out to the bars. That's how much I love this movie. I just, I, it's a C minus for me. I don't know. I like, as soon as you recommended this, I knew that exactly what I was going to say. And then I watched it and it followed suit. So I, I, I don't have like a hatred for this movie or anything. I just don't, it's not a, it's not a Steve movie. So I will ask, and for me, all of like any movie that has like a notable father son dynamic and some father son story beats, emotional beats, they wreck me. So that that is another reason why I love this movie. One, the Maverick and Goose and then Maverick and Rooster stuff, Miles Teller and Tom Cruise, obviously. That that stuff really got to me. So I have to ask, like the Talk to Me Goose callbacks, the Miles Teller stuff, like did that not, you know, strike a chord with you at all or no? Uh well I think part of the reason it didn't is because I hate Miles Teller as an actor. Um I've heard he's like a total, <laughs> a total d bag on set um, from from the articles I've read about him. But also just like, never been a, really a fan of him. I don't know, I, I, like Whiplash. I think he shows his chops, and ever since then, I think he's phoned it in. 
I I don't know. This the, the father-son stuff didn't really matter to me, and I think part of the reason is because it was so very predictable. Like, oh, I wonder I wonder if Rooster is going to get the call on on game day or whatever you want to call it. I wonder if Rooster's going to come back and save him. I wonder if Tom's going to go back and save Rooster. Like, I, I saw pretty much every beat coming. And so I think that's part of the reason why I, I didn't really care for it. I'll give it one more attempt to try and try and cut deep here. Another big thing for me, like anytime, anytime I can share something with my dad, it makes me feel good. And movies like he he put me on to movies like his favorites from the 80s and 90s but as far as being a movie dork and like really doing some deep cuts and like talking movies of the last 15 years the stuff that i i've fallen in love with he is a no-go on he does not watch a lot of movies anymore and this is one of those movies that he saw in theaters fell in love with and it became a rewatchable for him like my mom would tell me that she would walk down to the basement every two days and he'd have it on at the bar. So like we have Top Gun Maverick as like our, one of our new like bonding moments, like he'll quote it to me and that never happens. I'm always the dork dropping movie quotes. So when I've got Brad being a movie dork, like dude, that makes my day. So I think that's also part of why this movie's special for me. It's like the perfect, like every dad loves this movie. It's a great talk. It's a great conversation starter with like, the 40 and ups. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I don't know. My dad loves this movie too. I didn't really necessarily talk to him about it. I mean, it's football season, so we've got our conversations covered. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm glad that it did that for you. Um, for me, just again, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's not a Steve movie. One of my, my weirdest, like, <laughs> dad movie, I guess, is my dad showed me Close Encounters with the Third Kind when I was, like, eight years old. And I always think about that day when I think of, like, movies I've shared with my dad. Oh, dude, I could rattle off so many, so many different, like, movies with my dad. I mean, it was, like, my childhood. We would go to the library once a week and, like, rent three movies. I have the greatest story for rounders if we ever talk about it, but yeah, I, I, I totally get it. But Top Gun Maverick is the newest entry on there, but no, respectfully let's fuck off. I don't want to hear that's fair again, or you're just going to break my heart. Let's, let's move off. Let's move off Maverick. You know, I don't need to hear you slander it. So wait, 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 one more thing. I, all I could think about during the ending of this movie is the attack run is literally beat for beat the same thing as the as a new hope. All right, everyone, thank you for listening to Blast Podcast. Um, I, I'm your new host, <laughs> Tyler. Uh, Dude, down t- down to down to Miles Teller not getting his laser to work, and so he just kind of has to feel it. That's the same exact thing Luke does with the Death Star. Um, and then, uh, like, Cruz coming in and saving him. Honestly, maybe Hangman is more of a Han Solo in the Millennium Falcon. This is, it's just beat for beat. I was laughing uh, at, at how similar the two were. Anything else? Anything else? 
Okay. Yes. Actually, one last thing. My big question for you for this movie is what does Top Gun Bob look like? So let me get this straight. You just dicked on one of my favorite comfort movies for 15 minutes, and then you're going to ask me a dumbass question like that. (laughs) Gee, let me really think about this one. What does Top Gun Bob look like? I don't know. It's like a 45-minute short film of him like doing debits and credits like an accounting class. I'm sorry. I... What did you expect when you recommended me to watch this movie for this pod? No, no, no. Wait, way to be a good sport. You know, I really, I really dialed in for your, for your two movies. I, I found some positive takeaways, despite it being the antithesis of what I consider a comfort movie. So, <laughs> kick rocks, man. That's that's not cool. I want you to say one nice thing about this movie. The flying shots are really cool. Did you know they? Did you know they were in the planes? Did you know that? Actually, I did. <laughs> All right, seriously, dude, I, I'm gonna cry if we keep talking about this. So I would like to run through a little exercise. You know, we we talked about these two movies each. You know, I had Rocky Three and Top Gun. You had your two, but I want to hear a full blown comfort movies list from you. Give me your top five. It can include Beautiful Day and Little Fish if you want it to. Okay, um, I actually think Little Fish would slot in at my six, um, but since we've talked about the rest of the movies on this pod, that's or, or like in previous episodes, that's why I didn't recommend these. At number five, I've got Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Awesome. Um, Miles Rising is one of the best moments in, in movie history. Number four is Goodwill Hunting for me. Again, a very sad one, but one that makes me just feel like I can take on the world and be the best me. Uh, Similar to number three, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, I've glazed this movie over and over on this pod. Number two, I have The Worst Person in the World, which I have not revisited in a little while, and this makes me want to. And number one is It's Such a Beautiful Day. Wow, it came in at your one spot. All right. Mm-hmm. Wow. I like it. You know what? That is one element of it that's just the perfect Thai movie. It was an hour. Talk about get in, get out. This shit, that's, like, that's a class period. <laughs> I just went to econ for an hour. You know? <laughs> this one meeting at work that you can just kind of tune out. <laughs> po- Power BI workshop. Camera off, mic off. Just... <laughs> All right. Oh God! All right, let's hear let's hear your top five. I'm sure this is going to be much different from mine. Yeah, it's a little more fun, asshole. All right, at my five spot, I have not the best, but in my top three, but my favorite Star Wars movie, Return of the Jedi. I think this has the greatest third act and maybe the greatest highs of st- like Star Wars history. The battle between Luke and Vader, I think, is the greatest Star Wars scene of all time. And Luke throwing away the saber, saying, like, no, I'll never turn to the dark side. Um, I am a Jedi, like my father before me. Just perfect. Perfect. I, I love this movie. I love this version of Luke. Awesome. That's my five. At my four, I this is a weird comfort movie because it's about a very depressed Sigma. But give me the Batman. It's It's all about, yes, him wanting to be vengeance and a loner and doing what the city needs him to do. 
but it's all about him wanting to become more, becoming hope, becoming better. And similar to Rocky three, it, it fires me up in that sense. Then at my three spot, we have Rocky three. Now I can plug Rocky three again, but I would also like to put like an asterisk here. If it wasn't Rocky three, because of that, you know, YouTube motivation video, I would slot Creed in here. I think, yes, Rocky three is my favorite of the, like from a comfort sense, but I find it way easier to watch the first Creed movie. So I put Rocky three, maybe Creed at my three spot at my two spot. We just talked about it. Don't want to upset you anymore, but Top Gun Maverick, this is one of my favorite theater experiences of all time. It, the, the Tom Cruise hype train, it's real. Get aboard. I, I can't believe you can't. And then at my one spot, a movie that I could talk about for days. Give me The Dark Knight Rises. This is my favorite Batman movie. It's honestly one of my favorite movies ever. I do think it's better than Dark Knight, but nothing has empowered me more than this movie nothing puts a bigger smile on my face after watching it and nothing is easier to put on hbo or like grab the blu-ray this is the easiest watch i've, I've ever had if if you would have given me dkr then i think our friendship would be on better terms right now <laughs> right but i didn't and it's not on good terms so damn <laughs> you know but i challenged you i pushed you to watch something that you wouldn't have otherwise watched and i'm proud of myself for that that's fair. Um, say say I'm that's sorry. fair. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Say that's fair one more time. I dare you. I dare so, you. So uh, we still on for lunch in a couple days, or? <laughs> dude, dude, I, I think I have to do laundry in a couple days. So I'll I'll get back to you. I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. Is there anything else you want to say to our audience before, before we close this out? Go watch Top Gun Maverick. Watch it like at 100 volume. Don't listen to anything the schmuck says. It's a great watch and a lot of fun. Stop looking at it like it's Citizen Kane. Just enjoy it. Okay. Don't try to understand it. Just feel it. Thank you all for listening to this episode of The Last Podcast. Be sure to check out our website at blastmovies.net to stay up to date on all our latest content and news, as well as our Instagram at blast underscore movies underscore, and our TikTok at blast.movies, where we're posting podcast clips now. Um, We will catch you guys next week with another pod. Peace.